Good morning, everybody. Happy, happy, oh, turn it on first. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Just seeing if you're all happy on Palm Sunday. <laughs> Palm Sunday is kind of a happy thing when you look at it, and we're going to look at it really today. It's a very joyous thing that takes place, very happy thing. We sang a lot of Hosanna songs today. Did you notice that? Yeah. And, and that's why, because it's Palm Sunday, and that's kind of like what happened then, right? But I'm kind of thinking a little bit differently here uh, when we get near the end of the, of the passage we're going to look at today. Is we, last week, we, we finished with Jonah, right? We finished the book of Jonah, and last time we saw him looking over the city of Nineveh like this, right? Remember that? He was angry. And why was he angry? He was angry because the city had turned to Yahweh. The, the city had fallen, repented. Like, he was, Jonah was angry about that. 120,000 people plus had turned to God. And Jonah is angry about it. That's kind of the the picture we kind of left with. Now, we don't know, did he get over it? Did he get better? Whatever. We don't know about that. Someday we will. But what we're going to look at today is like a contrast picture because it's Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Why? Not because they had turned to him, but because they were rejecting him. A contrast of cities, Nineveh and Jerusalem, a contrast of Jonah and Jesus. That's kind of, you know, what, what struck me as we finished the study in Jonah and then we came to this time of celebrating the, the uh, Palm Sunday. So I want you to open your Bibles with me today to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And <clears throat> it's, it's called the triumphal entry, right? And it's found in all four Gospels, this passage here, the triumphal entry. And really, what is it about? It's about the king was arriving in Jerusalem. That's really the, the bottom line. We call it Palm Sunday. That's because of they, they spread palm branches that, you know, that Jesus uh, and the, the colt of a donkey rode upon. But the big deal is that is that the king was coming into the city, as we'll see. So let's start. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. And it says there in verse 28, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. That's a, you know, an interesting way that he put it. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem. Now, one of the big things, is, as I've already mentioned, is the city of Jerusalem. When you read about the city of Jerusalem in, in the, the scriptures, it's always the, the city, the great city or the city of the great God, and it's, it's lifted up. But whenever you see them talking about going to Jerusalem, it's always going up to Jerusalem. Not just because of the fact that it was on the, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of hills, which it is, but no matter where you were, you were always going to go up to Jerusalem. That's kind of fascinating to me. So he's going up to Jerusalem, and verse 29 says this, 
that as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, and he gave them instructions. Now he has now gone to the Mount of Olives, which I'll give you a little picture here. This is, this is looking from Jerusalem, the Temple Mount area, across this valley. It's kind of hard to get perspective, but if you see uh, up here, uh, that's at the top of the Mount of Olives. In here, uh, there was the, the Garden of Gethsemane in some of these trees. And, and so, but this is a valley down below. And again, it's kind of hard to get perspective with a, a picture, but we're up and then there's a valley in between. And then there's this uh, mount that rises up. The Mount of Olives, Olives is actually a little bit higher than the Jerusalem, the Mount, the Temple Mount anyways. So Jesus is now, he says he's coming to the hill called the Mount of Olives, and, he, and things are happening there. He's at the Mount of Olives across this valley from Jerusalem. Kind of give you a picture of what's going on here. The Mount of Olives is kind of important in a, in a lot of different ways. One, that, that the Garden of Gethsemane was there, it's important. But there are a couple of other things. Can anybody remember what a couple of other things that might have happened or will happen at the Mount of Olives? Anybody? He is going to return in Zechariah chapter uh, 14. It says that he, his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives. His feet are going to stand there, and, the, and it's going to actually be split in two. That's pretty fascinating when he, when he comes back. Something else, uh, uh, I'm not sure about what you said, John, but another occasion where, where Jesus was at the Mount of Olives. This one's a little trickier to remember. Found. Yeah, I'm looking for something a little more um, striking. Found in Acts chapter 1. I'll give you a clue. Acts chapter 1, it talks about where Jesus ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Fascinating because he's going to return back to that same place when he physically comes to the earth. That's fascinating to me. That's a, that's a powerful place. It's an important place. So Jesus is now, he's at this place called the Mount of Olives, and he's speaking to his disciples. He sent two of them. He'd like to send them out in twos. It's good to have a partner, right, that you can, you know, go, go into the battle together with. In verse 30, it says, Go to the village ahead of you, and, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Untie it. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Now, again, this, this idea of the uh, triumphal entry has got to do with the fact that he asks for this colt. Because again, in Zechariah chapter 9, we'll read it here on the screen. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, he's literally fulfilling. Many times you remember Jesus would say, Listen, don't tell anybody, right? Remember he'd say that? Listen, don't spread it around that I just did this. They would do it anyways. They never listened to him, which is a problem that we have as humans. 
But now, this is radically different now. Jesus says, get the colt. I'm going into Jerusalem. I'm going to ride on a colt. And, and th this is what he's proclaiming because to the Jew, they would hear this. And for a king to ride on a colt, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was, he was presenting himself as king and as Messiah. That's why this place is breaking loose, you see. That's why it gets so out of control in worship and praise because of what he was proclaiming to be. The king, the Messiah. Notice that no one had ever ridden the colt, and, and you know what? There's only one. I think there's, there's importance and significance in all the details of Scripture, but there's, there's only one Messiah. There's only one king that's going to come and ride like that, and it's Jesus. And he came. What's kind of interesting, I think, is this, is that, that the Lord needs it. Now, why would the Lord need that? I mean, the thing looks like it's barely been fed. Right? I mean, but, but it's interesting to think about the Lord wanted to use that to proclaim on this very special day, which has prophetic significance as well, to proclaim who He is, and He chooses to get a donkey, a colt, from some people. He says, the Lord needs it. If they ask you, if they give any trouble, like, why are you untying my animal here? Can't you see? He's tired. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He doesn't want to do anything. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Now, could he have done it another way? He could have, you know, like zapped a beautiful white stallion right there, right? And just boom, right like that. Right? He could have, Right? But he said, no, I need what you have. Is that the only time we can think of that happening with Jesus? No. It happened a lot, actually. It happened a lot. John Corson, the pastor in, in Oregon, he points it out. They, he, you know, they, he needed a boat, right? He said, I need a boat. They, the disciples had a boat. They, he got in their boat. How about the, the loaves and the fishes? You give them something to eat, he says. Little boy, he gave what he had. He said, the Lord needs it. He's going to use it. What about the upper room? There's a room over there that I need, and I'm going to, I'm going to have the Last Supper there, and I want, to, I want that room of yours. How about a tomb? I need a tomb. I need a place where I'm going to rest, where I'm going to be put for those three days. And now he says, I need a colt. It, it's just striking to me as well that Jesus would want something that you and I have. Of course, he gave it all to us in the first place, right? We all know that, right? But when the Lord says he needs it, what do we say? What's our response? I don't know. That colt of mine, he's, he's all tied up. He's got a busy schedule. You know, he, he, I don't think he can make it Palm Sunday. You know, uh-uh. But he needs it. And he wants to use you and I. He wants to use what we have. And we say, well, you know, I have not got much. I've got, you know, some loaves and, and fish, a little bit here. I've got this, you know, that's me, right? I, what do I have to offer, you know? 
But, but you know what? When we offer ourselves to him and, and he says, I, I, I want to use you. I want to use you to go to URI and, and pass out uh, discs, CDs. In the promotion uh, that we saw some weeks back, you know, he says, you know, what do you have to be able to say to do this job? You remember that? Well, you have to be able to say one word. Here. Now, I, can you all say here? I'm not trying to recruit people for you because I know it's during the day and a lot of you have to work and everything. But if, if not, you know, come and join us. You know, the more the merrier, I think. And again, go out as a team as much is stronger. But to offer what we have just to be available. To just be available. To, and the Lord needs it. For the Lord to say he needs something that you and I have or that he needs us to, to, to do it. He said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And he did a miraculous thing through them. He wants us, he needs us to participate in his work. Look at verse 32. It says, those who were sent ahead, they went and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Right? So they went there, and this is, this is kind of fascinating too. He told them to go and do something, and guess what? When they got there, it was just like he told them it was going to be. Is that what it says there? Isn't that what it says? It was like he told them. And they did just as he told them. If God asks us to do something, he's going he's to put it together, right? You know? If he asks you to do something, he's going to provide whatever it is that you need to do what he's asked you to do. I've seen it over and over in, in, in our lives, in my life. He doesn't ask you to do something and then just kind of push you out and say, you know, do the best you can with, you know, with what you got. You know, he says, and you read it with people like Joshua and Moses. He says, I want you to do this. They say, no, I can't do it. He says, listen, I'm going to be with you. Don't freak out. I'm going to, he didn't use that language. He said it, right? I mean, he said words to that effect. I am going to be with you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You just need to show up and do it. Now, he knew what he's, exactly what he was doing as he, as he got this colt. In verse 35, things start to you know, pick up steam here. It says, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. They brought it to Jesus. They brought it to Jesus. They brought it to Jesus. What's the point? They brought it to Jesus, right? That's the point. That's, that is the point, right? Oh, man. Too much coffee this morning, I think. What's the most important step, right? that they bring it to Jesus. And for you and I to bring ourselves to Jesus, that's really what we need to do, really. Every single day, bring ourselves, bring what he's given us, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. What do you have? Well, I'm not bringing that. No, uh-uh, that's mine. That bright red Mustang? No, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not offering that up to him. No, uh-uh, that's mine. That big giant castle? Oh, no, no, that's, that's not available. No, that extra cash? I, oh, no, I'm not going to, no, no. Nah. Isn't that what happens, though? 
We hold on to stuff, yeah. Bring it to Jesus is what the, the point is. Bring it to Jesus. He's asking. He needs it. But the colt had to be untied, right? And some of us are kind of tied up. <coughs> Pun intended. We're kind of tied up, and, and he wants to get us untied so we'll be available f- for his work, for his just to be involved what, with what he's doing in the world today. In the time that we have left. We do not know how much time we have left, honestly. We don't know how much time we have left personally. We don't know how much time we have left as a country, as a planet. We do not know. So to be involved, what what greater thing is there than to be involved? You know, you think about the guy whose cult that was, you know. How long did he talk about that? Right? Hey, Jesus came into this. He was riding my colt. He was in my Mustang. <laughs> Just think about that. They brought it to Jesus. Notice, too, it wasn't just the colt, though. They took their cloaks, and they, they put their cloaks on the colt, and then Jesus got on top of the, the colt, on top of the cloaks, and people also, they spread their cloaks. They threw their coats on the ground, right? They threw it all on the ground. You say, well, I'm not, my coat, my coat, I'm not, no. You know how much I paid for that thing? That's like a, I can't think of any brand names for coats, but. What? Docker, that's like, we're talking. <laughs> You know, they threw their cloaks on the ground because they were, they were overjoyed, they were privileged, they were excited that the Messiah, the king who was coming into the city of Jerusalem would actually walk on top of something that they put there. That's incredible, right? That's exciting. The branches, Matthew chapter 21 tells us in the, in the other account, they put branches on the road as well. And John chapter 12 tells us about the palm branches. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. Why didn't they call it Cloak Sunday, though? (laughs) Or just Branch Sunday? I don't know. But all of this, uh, according to one commentator, was part of a traditional Jewish reception for royalty. For them to, you know, what they did, it wasn't just, oh, let's just see what we can do here. I'll throw my coat down if you throw your coat down. No, it wasn't like that. They saw Jesus coming. They saw what was happening and they said, this is what's happening. The king is coming to town and we want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of it. Look at verse 37. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Incredible, they were worshiping. They were shouting, loud voices, it says. They began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. That's why I love that song, you know, we sing. I can't remember the name of it, though, but it talks about singing in a loud voice. We sang it today. Beautiful news, right? Sing it loud. Shout it loud. Why? Because that's what was happening here. Sometimes, you know, we're just a little bit too sedate. I have to say this. 
Beautiful news, beautiful news. <laughs> I'm so excited about the beautiful news. You know, that's kind of like how excited we get about beautiful news. If they were like that, Jesus would have said, I'm going to go find a different city. Because this is, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about the king coming into the city, right? Well, let's get a little excited every now and then. I'm not saying you all have to shout like crazy people. But it's okay to get a little excited every now and then. You say, well, I'm just, that's not my personality. But then you go to a football game. And your personality undergoes a radical transformation. Like, what is that all about, right? Or you like NASCAR and your guy wins and you like go crazy. But when you're going to sing to the king, it's more like, i got just to be a little careful about that. This was breaking loose people in the city of Jerusalem, going down the Mount of Olives and going into and up to the city of Jerusalem. It was, it was pandemonium, right? It broke loose. The king was entering the city. This is triumph, right? I've titled the message From Triumph to Tears, This is the triumph part, right? They were shouting out Hosanna. The word Hosanna literally means save. It was like a a prayer. Save! Exclamation mark. It became also known as an exclamation of praise. That's an interesting combination, right? You're asking God to save and you're praising Him at the very same time. But this is who... Zechariah talked about that king would come, bringing what? Salvation, it said. Bringing salvation. Now, you have to also keep in mind the the context, right? They were expecting the king to come and do what? Exactly, to overthrow the government of Rome, to, to free them from the shackles, They were expecting the king to come and set up his kingdom right here, right now. Now, you and I know the rest of the story, right? This wasn't his time to do that. He will do that one day, but he had to first go to the cross. But but that's what they were looking for. And Jesus didn't dissuade them at this point in time from praise, from speaking, from shouting, right? Save, save. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 39, though. little contrast. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they were worshiping? I wonder where that comes from. I wonder where that motivation came from. Not from God, right? He said the stones would cry out. You know, the very creation itself would cry out if if the people did not. This is praise, isn't it? This is triumph. This is the triumph of that day that, uh, again, every... 
account in the Bible that, that have headings, they all say it out. Look, look at your Bible. Does it say it, the, the heading there, the triumphal entry? You see that? Does it say that in your Bible? It says in mine here. The triumphal entry. Triumph was taking place. The king was coming in, the, this, this triumphant shout that the king who comes in the name of the Lord, that Zechariah, the passage, was being fulfilled. The king who comes bringing salvation was happening. These contrasts, you see them over and over in the Bible. And again, we talked about the contrast between Jonah and Jesus. The contrast, Jonah, when the people all turned, he got angry. He should have been excited, right? He should have been very excited. Jesus now coming into the city of Jerusalem, you would think, you know, the people, they're, they're worshiping me. He knew who he was. He was God the Son come down from heaven, word become flesh, dwelt among us. And yet, he has a very different response. Let's look at it in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem he, and saw the city, he wept over it. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? He went from this place of triumph to the place of tears. And this is now the view looking down from the Mount of Olives as you go down again. This is, this is the Kidron Valley down here, and then it goes up here. This is uh, part of the wall that's been rebuilt. And this... This about this where I'm uh, outlining here is the, the Temple Mount. And the Jewish temple would have been, uh, we're not really totally sure. There's a lot of debate about exactly where it was placed. Some think it was right about here. Some think it was right here. Again, we have two mosques, one here and one here. But Jesus is now coming down the mountain of the Mount of Olives. People are shouting, screaming, worshiping. And he looks over the city of Jerusalem. It was not as big as it is now. And it says that he wept over it. Why? Why all of a sudden is Jesus now weeping over the city of Jerusalem? I'll tell you why. Because his heart was broken. Just like when his friend Lazarus had died, his heart was broken. He was weeping over the people. He was weeping over the city. And why? Because of their rejection of him. Look at verse 42. He said, And if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. If you had only known what would bring you peace. I want you to turn back with me to Jude to Luke chapter 13. And in another interesting passage which ties in directly with this in, in terms of what's happening here. Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. But you were not willing. How long? 
how he longed to gather them. He had the same heart, you see, when he was entering the city of Jerusalem back in chapter 19. He said, if, if you only knew what would bring you peace. It's amazing. Tommy picked out that passage in John. We're going to turn there in a minute. But, but uh, the same kind of thing where he came to his own, but his own rejected him. They were rejecting him. Again, this contrast between Jonah and the city that, that were turning towards God and, and Jesus and the city of Jerusalem who were rejecting Yahweh, rejecting the Messiah, the King who was now coming. If you only knew. What strikes me the most is, is the heart of Jesus for the people, for, for the city of Jerusalem. He had this heart for lost people. He had this heart. He cared for lost, lost people. And, and you know what? I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You know, what's our, you know, what's our heart like? Do we even care for lost people around us? Do we, do we have any clue that there are lost people all around us? Weeping for Jerusalem. I got a quote I'm going to put up on the screen for you from a guy named Griffith Thomas. He was a pastor from England and a teacher in uh, the last part of the 1800s, first part of the 1900s, but he wrote this, and, I, and I'm really struck by this. He says, let us sit at Christ's feet until we learn the secret of his tears. And beholding the sins and the sorrows of city and countryside, weep over them too. Is that powerful? Let us sit at Christ's feet until we learn the secret of his tears. Until we weep too. I had to ask myself this question honestly. When was the last time I wept over anybody who was far from God? Have I ever wept over someone who was separated, who was rejecting Christ? Maybe, maybe family, you know, you're close, you're, you think about your family, you, you know, you're very concerned for them, you're, you know, it, it, it touches you here, you don't want to go to heaven without them. So maybe family, you know, but, but Jesus looked at the whole city and he was weeping, his heart was broken because they were rejecting him, they were turning away from him. Look at verses 43 and 44. Excuse me, we've already read uh, 42, verses 43 and 44. And the days will come, he says, when you, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. You see, he was weeping for the people, but he was also weeping for the city of Jerusalem, right? Weeping for what would one day happen to the city of Jerusalem. And did it happen? Yes, it did. When did it happen? 70 AD. You know, about, about what? 40 years later, a little bit less. <clears throat> Completely fulfilled what Jesus talked about, what he said in these verses here. 
He was heartbroken about it. This is the city of the great king, you see. This is the city of Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but, you know, looking at what's going on in the world today, Jerusalem is at the center. You know, a, a fellow wrote a book called Jerusalem about, about it being the epicenter, and it certainly is the epicenter. But Jesus, the temple, would be destroyed. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, they believe, were killed at that time when the Romans completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. You know, I, uh, we don't, we don't, this is kind of a drawing that someone made, but it might have been something like this where, you know, again, this is the Kidron Valley from a different angle, and again, the wall here and the temple, uh, uh, I think it's right in there. It's hard to see in this picture here. But the whole place was destroyed, and the Romans coming against the city. These are Roman soldiers over here on the right, and, and they're surrounding the city. It says it took many days for them to get in there. But finally, when they did, they did go in there, they destroyed it, and, and they, you know, they, they knocked down the walls, the stones. You can go there even today, and outside the old city of Jerusalem where part of the walls have been rebuilt, you can still see it. Piles of rubbish, rubbish just like that, still there from 70 A.D. The stuff has not been moved. It's insane. But that's what Jesus said. He says, because the time, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know the place called the Western Wall, right? What's another name for the Western Wall? The Wailing Wall. You know, it's not really a, it's not part of the wall around the temple at all. It's actually what it is. It's just a, it's part of the retaining wall. The temple mount is right about here. And all this was just part of a retaining wall that kept it all from crumbling down. That's all that's left. It's all that's left. And it's, it's, it's very fascinating in, in one way because you can take a, there's some tunnels down under here which follow this retaining wall. And some of the stones in this retaining wall are massive. And you wonder, how did they ever get those stones in there? Because even today, we would have trouble doing it. But, but when they built this, it was incredible. But that's all that's left of the Temple Mount, of the temple area that Jesus was speaking about here. You didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why was Jesus weeping over them? Why? Because they didn't recognize, they didn't, they didn't see Jesus for who he was. And they certainly didn't receive him. Now let's turn to that passage that Tommy looked at. John chapter 1, we'll close with that. John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. And we'll read it. starting in verse 10. It says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. They didn't recognize Him. 
They didn't receive him. That's why he was weeping over Jerusalem besides everything that was going to happen to the city. He has a heart for people. You see, he, he loves people. It's not his will that, that any would perish, but that all would come and know him as Lord and Savior. The king has come. To those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's, that's for you and for I, that, for, for you and for me. Did I get that right? And, and it was true for them back then as well, but even more so today. Isn't it also true that you and I can refuse to recognize Jesus as the king? We can refuse to receive him. We can refuse to believe in him. We can say no, no, and go on about our merry way. I think he weeps over that too. So there's two things I want to leave you with. Number one is that you and I make a choice to recognize him as the only hope that we have and to receive him as the king, as the savior, as Messiah, the, the one who came for us. That's the, that's, that's the most important thing. You and I have to make a decision. And we're going to pray and you're going to have another opportunity, as I always give that opportunity, for people to simply say yes to Jesus. No one can do it for you. You have to do it yourself, right? That's number one. Number two is this, is, is, and I think this is something that I think we need to pray about, and I have been praying about this, is to have the heart of Jesus for the lost around us. Pray to, we pray about it in our Wednesday night prayer meeting, too, to pray for souls. But, but, but more than that, to pray that we would have a heart for the lost and care about those people all around us. I think only God can do that, really. So we have to pray. We have to pray and ask him. Give me that burden. You read, you read biographies. I, like, I love to read biographies of the men and women uh, who have gone before us in the faith, and, and you read about some, and they just had, you know, they have a burden for souls, for lost people. I want that. I think we all, you know, need that. So let's pray right now, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you that you sent the King, Jesus. And one day, though it went from triumph to tears, there will one day also be triumph once again where we will see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But today we, we think about uh, these folks that rejected him and they didn't receive him. Lord, we don't want to be one of those. We want to be those that can say that, that I know him. He's Jesus. He's my Savior. He died for me. He rose from the dead, as we'll be celebrating soon. Lord, uh, I, I want to come before you now with, with, with our hearts. And, and maybe there are some here today who have never surrendered, never bowed. Maybe they're those that Jesus is even now uh, sorrowing over. 
because they're holding out, they're rejecting, they're, they're saying no. And I, I pray right now, if that's you, you know, don't, don't hold out on Jesus. He's, he's the only hope that you have. So today you can simply surrender and say, yes, Jesus, I, I receive you and I believe in you today here on Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday 2016. And for those of us, Lord, that, that have already made that choice, God, I pray you'd stir in our hearts, Lord. Stir in our hearts to have a heart to care for those that are lost all around us, God. Do it in us, Lord. We can't do it. We're just self-centered sinners, human beings, and we kind of care about ourselves. Well, don't we don't kind of. We do. But give us a heart, Lord, like you had. Help us to have that in us. And as we'll sing even now, that, that you'd break our hearts with what breaks yours. Father, put your heart in us, Lord, we pray. That we could be, that we could be about your business, Lord, and, and bring what we have to you, that you might use us in this world in these days. In Jesus' name we pray.